Hi, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and welcome to McCollum Wellness Radio. Now more than ever, our country needs to learn how to take care of our own health, and it's my mission to empower you on that journey. Please join me each week as I cover these topics and interview experts throughout the field to bring you the answers you need to reach your maximum health potential. Thank you and enjoy the show. In today's episode of McCollum Wellness Radio, we welcome Dr. John C. Brady, forensic psychologist and doctor of criminology, as he dives into his discoveries observing his clients' use, abuse, and overuse of psychiatric drugs. He has found that these drugs, rather than making people whole, actually tend to disenfranchise them, clouding their ability to heal on their own and creating learned helplessness instead of self-empowerment. Treating diagnoses like anxiety and depression, as well as deviant and criminal behaviors with a psychiatric drug only masks the underlying cause behind the psychological condition. Masking people's condition with drugs hinders their ability to change, their ability to feel good about themselves, and their ability to be independent and fully functioning. As a result, they often become psychologically weaker and even more susceptible to the very same impulses they were given the drugs to treat in the first place. The United States makes up somewhere around 4-5% to of the world's population, yet Americans consume 85% of the world's psychiatric drugs. What's worse, many of these drugs actually create mental conditions that were not present in people before being prescribed them. Dr. Brady puts it bluntly, Big Pharma is selling diseases, not drugs. An ill for every pill. Pharmaceuticals push people into a medication solution instead of teaching self-reliance. You can learn more about Dr. Brady's work by visiting johncbrady.com. I can be free. Good afternoon, Santa Cruz and world. This is Dr. Duncan McCollum. This is McCollum Wellness Radio. And so happy to be here and so appreciative of the ability to be able to speak freely about some subjects that uh, hitherto are difficult to, to talk about. And I have a really great guest today, and I'm so happy that we were able to arrange this. Dr. John Brady, John C. Brady, PhD, is uh, with us today. He's got some pretty cool uh, titles. He's a psychologist, but he's a criminal. He's got a degree in crimin. Uh, you can say it, but criminology. he's in criminology. <laughs> right. And he's a forensic psychologist. And it's like some of the stuff that he's been exposed to. He's gonna. I'll give him a chance just to tell us a little bit of his background. But what an interesting field to be in, uh, Dr. John. Thanks for being here yep. and. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you got what you're doing or where you are and what we're going to talk about today. Oh, doctor, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to talk a little bit today about a subject that's very important, particularly in this pandemic situation, which is the use or abuse, overuse of psychiatric drugs. The, how I got here is kind of a convoluted story, but I've always dealt with criminal patients everybody from shoplifters to multiple serial murderers and, and everybody in between. And the, the thing that I've noticed in the past 15 or 20 years is that the frequency of these people coming to me who have been prescribed psychiatric drugs, over-prescribed psychiatric drugs, and these drugs have produced some deleterious effects in their behaviors. Early on, I did a lot of studies on women shoplifters. And that was kind of interesting because the, I work in Silicon Valley and the, the net worth of the people who I was seeing was between three and $20 million. Wow. Yet, yet here they are stealing pantyhose from Safeway at four o'clock in the morning, they have a rap sheet of 25 different arrests. And the, the communality is that in each case where psychiatric intervention was sought, 
that they were prescribed heavy doses of four or five different classifications of drugs, never getting to the real issue of why they committed these particular offenses, how to stop them from recidivating, or making them whole people. Rather than making them whole people, what happens is when certain kinds of drugs are administered, it disenfranchises people and makes them even weaker and more susceptible to their particular impulses. In, in that case, was stealing. In other cases, it's other kinds of deviant behavior or criminal behavior. I've heard, I've heard you on, on your show, and you've got a great show, by the way. I always, I always, always listen to it. But I've heard you say that we're, we're about 4 to 5% of the world's population, yet we use 50% of the pharmaceuticals. An even more astounding number is that we use 85% of the psychiatric drugs worldwide. Really? I didn't know that. So you've got now 30 million people or more who are addicted to psychiatric drugs. You've got 15 million children addicted to psychiatric drugs, which accounts for this outstanding number of 85% of worldwide distribution. Whether these pharmaceutical companies are based in Europe, Asia, United States, it's a global phenomenon, and the phenomenon is to push more drugs. Uh, in a recent study in Southern California, if you can imagine, in, in a school district, they found that 60% of the students were on some kind of a mood-altering drug. 45% of the teachers were on drugs, wow. and 65% of the parents were on drugs. Wow. So now you wonder, why do we have a drug epidemic when everybody is is facing this with the New York Times, kind of a liberal uh, outlet, but they pointed out that we're becoming zombie land and we're prescribing drugs for questionable diseases and disorders which before didn't even exist. So it's the, the medicalization of America where Big Pharma is, is selling diseases, not drugs. Oh, my gosh. That's a funny way to look at so, it. So, yeah. So, so it's, a, it's an ill for every pill. Mm -hmm. So they, if, if they can't find a disorder, they will artifactually create one, and then there's a drug to treat that particular symptom. So this is what I found starting with my shoplifters as well as other deviant classes of, of patients that I've been referred Wow. Well, you know what's really interesting is, well, about, I don't know, it's been a few years now. We went from ICD-9 codes, which are diagnosis codes in the medical international to ICD-10 codes. Right. And uh, we, I don't know how many there were then. There was <laughs> something like 1,300 ICD-9 codes. When they went to ICD-10 codes, it's almost, I mean, it's ex extorbinant how many more there are. So, and, and they just keep coming up with these new um, diagnoses, and especially in the, psychi the psychiatric area, because everything becomes a condition. You know, I'm, I don't like math, so there's a, a name for... It's <laughs> math phobia. <laughs> math phobia, you know, and, or, you know, so, and also we know that ADHD, we talked about this the other day, there's no diagnosis for it other than a list of about 10 different symptoms are things like right, you know, distracted right. in class, can't pay attention, don't want to sit still, look out the window a lot. And um, so rather than figuring out how to t tap into the, the actual being or the person and the, the individual and, and help them achieve greatness, they, we're doping down, we're giving them chemical handcuffs that are stopping these guys, these kids, and even adults from achieving their goal. And I wanted to say one thing that I said the other day, but Einstein said, you know, that the imagination is more powerful than science, and it takes imagination to create science. And then um, we were the picture of you and me next to uh, uh, Franklin 
Benjamin Franklin, he's one, right. one that said, if everybody did what they were capable about, capable of, they would be astounded with themselves. So what's your opinion on when we put these chemical handcuffs on? I'm kind of giving you a leaded question. But how? Yeah. what are we stopping in the creation of the individual by, help, by adapting them to something rather than helping them expand and be able to create more in their life? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's a, a perfect segue into the result of, of the doping of America. Mm -hmm. What happens not just with my patients, but with, with other people, it, it clouds their particular ability to solve their own problems. It creates a, a codependence on another particular condition that they might have, and it, creating a second addiction which is the addiction to the, to the drugs. You talk about imagination, and, and as bad as it is, the pharmaceutical people are, have imagination in spades. Mm. They are very clever. They, th this has gone on since the 1920s in Germany when they manufactured lots of psychiatric drugs, when all the amphetamines came out of Germany, when IB Farben created Zyklon B that was used in concentration camps. They're very clever in how they operate and how they make money. Okay, so Apple might have $200 billion in, in reserves. The pharmaceutical companies collectively dwarf that. Wow. Just, just th think about the power. Yeah. Imagination, you know, your word. The, the imagination with... With ADHD, which I agree with you, which is a, a, a misnomer diagnosis, cannot be really defined, but since it was originated like in the night about the 1950s called minimal brain dysfunction, hmm. and then it, it migrated or moved into other particular diagnosis, ADHD, ADHD with, with depression, with other kinds uh, of symptoms. The, the issue is that how they imagined to, to transfer the diagnosis from children, then they figure they're missing most of the adults. Yeah. So they shifted about 10 years ago into ADHD adult type wow. diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So the, the same, and this is basically Novartis that makes the major drugs that are used for ADHD. So Novartis creates a campaign. Suddenly, every adult, probably people that come into your office, say, hey, doc, you know, I'm, I, I, it's hard for me to concentrate, this and that. You know, so they're, they're developing these symptoms that are, are, are created out of thin air, basically. And if you look at any nighttime TV, you're bombarded with ads for pharmaceuticals. Well, I think that's... Well, I think one out of three commercials is a pharmaceutical commercial period, or, and it might even be more now. But yeah, it's amazing Correct. what what we're you know what we have to put up with. We're about to take our first break. Um, I think we'll do that. We're going to listen to. I'm going to just listen to a guy named Doctor um, Jason Funk because he's going to talk about what happens when you have a drug that doesn't cure anybody and it doesn't kill anybody, how long they'll have to be on that drug. And it's really appropriate Forever. for right now. So <laughs> let's go ahead and listen to Jason Fung and we'll be back in just a sec. And how we can actually, through fasting, reverse type two diabetes. So we're really glad to have you here. And I thought Thank maybe you. you could just mention a few things about it. Yeah, it's uh, not very hard to understand because if you don't eat, then your body is going to need to use up that glucose because yeah. it's an energy source. So if you don't eat, your blood sugars will fall. Everybody knows that. So then why can't we use that as a therapeutic option? Because now you've got a, a sort of treatment that's 100% natural, completely free, and wouldn't that be better to do than to go see your doctor and take expensive medications that have potential side effects? Uh, and, and that's the real thing is that it, this, this represents a new option for people that a lot of people haven't thought about before. And it's like, if, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, well, you really haven't lost anything. Like you don't eat for, for a few hours. That's, that's mm -hmm. the only thing, you're hungry for a little bit. But you haven't lost anything, but if it works for you, it really can change your life because that type two diabetes 
can cause so many diseases, right? It can cause heart disease and kidney disease and blindness and stroke. Yeah, number and one cause of kidney failure too, exactly. right? Exactly, and it's no fun. And at that yeah. point, if you develop all those diseases, there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that people always think is that, well, you know, I can go get some insulin from my doctor. Right. And the problem with that is that, yes, you can get insulin from your doctor, it won't make you healthier. Mm -hmm. That's the point. That if you have uh, type 2 diabetes and you take all these medications, you don't actually prevent any heart disease or strokes or anything like that. The insulin doesn't make it better because it doesn't get rid of the sugar. Yeah, and, and you were mentioning too that insulin, I mean, most people have a problem of too much insulin anyway. Yeah. So when you said, why the heck would you give somebody more insulin if their problem is too much insulin in the first place? Exactly. And the insulin, as everybody who takes it knows, causes weight gain. You mm -hmm. take insulin, you gain weight. Well, how is that going to make your diabetes? Well, it's going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. So you're taking a drug that, yes, your sugars will get better, but your underlying disease is going to get worse. Right. And it's like year after year, you're just giving yourself more medications. And guess what? That's exactly what we saw. So, you, you know, in the standard treatment, and the scary part, of course, is that you could go to 99% of doctors, even at like the fanciest medical schools, and they'll treat you exactly the same. So they'll give you first a drug and another drug, then insulin, more insulin, more insulin. Right. And they think that they're doing great, but you know, at the end of the day, they've got their heart disease, they've got their strokes, they've got their kidney disease. They haven't actually done anything. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you Thank coming you. here. You've helped so many people. Thank and you so it's much. Really great. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum. Thanks a lot for tuning in. You know, you've heard me talk about this amazing new machine called the TRT machine or the Tissue Regenerative Technology Machine. We've had such amazing results and um, I really want you to experience it. So I'm still offering the $49 special. Um, I'm going to play a little snip from my friend and patient, Noel. I've, he's talked before. He's a diabetic patient. And let's just listen to what he has to say about his treatment with the TRT machine. You don't really realize how much you use your toes for balance until there there's no feeling in them and so I've got the feeling back in my toes and my balance is greatly improved definitely recommend it so that's it the TRT machine or the tissue regenerative technology machine I highly recommend you check it out if you want to go to trtllc.com like trtlimitedliability.com you can find out about this um, people are calling it the stem cell machine. It's just phenomenal. So you definitely want to give it a try. Give our call office a call, 459-9990-831-459-9990. You can be free. You can rise above. You can be free. You can be free. Okay, we're back. This is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and I have Dr. John Brady, PhD, here. And that song is You Can Be Free by Steve Funderburg, sung by uh, Tony Lindsay, a great vocalist, Grammy Award winner. And uh, we're talking about freedom today in a way, but we're talking about the handcuffs or the shackles uh, that can be put on us as uh, beings. And um, Dr. Brady is a criminal uh, psy psychologist, and forensic psychologist, and we, before the break, we were talking about some of the medications that, and the amount of people that are on medications. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to segue into this. It's like one thing that happened in the last 15 or 20, maybe even 30 years since I've been in practice is, you know, cholesterol used to be 250 was normal. And then uh, if you were over 250, they wanted to give you uh, some kind of uh, low, psych, you know, something to lower your cholesterol. And then it became 225. And then it became 200. And now it's 175, and they want to lower it to 150. How many more people do you think would have to be on a prescription drug for the rest of their life because they keep lowering the bar on the amount of or what's a, it's a safe cholesterol. Now, I'll tell you one thing. Cholesterol is necessary, and we're drying up our bodies so much. Our brains are made of fat, and cholesterol is needed to create the cell walls. It's create the neurotransmitters. We're talking about 
psychotropic drugs, which actually right. need neurotransmitters. And were, but, but I was just using the example of the cholesterol on how this, the pharmaceutical company can manipulate a populace to think that they need medication. So I'll turn it back over to you, Dr. John. Dr. John and his medicine show is what we should call this, but Good. that's already we'll, been coined. We'll take it on the road. <laughs> take it on the road with your background music. It'll, yeah. be, it'll be good. The, the, uh, at least with cholesterol testing, you have some observable measure. Yeah. You have some measure that goes up or down that tells you whether you're treating a condition. In the psychiatric area, there is no measure. Right. The only measure is, and we were talking about polypharmacy. Mm -hmm. What happens with, with some of my patients when they come in and there was a particular drug that was used, let's say a, a anti-anxiety drug like Ativan, that drug doesn't help the person stop stealing or committing crimes. So instead of terminating that particular drug, then they'll add another drug maybe Paxil or a, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor drug in combination, which only makes things worse. So when these, I've, I've had patients come to me with, with Safeway bag full of drugs. Wow. And, and they don't know which ones are which, when should I take these, did I take these? It, it, it's absolutely astounding the number of medications that will be prescribed to one patient and the symptoms, the frequency of symptoms increases. It doesn't decrease. So I, I've had people who were suicidal, who, who were thieves, who stole things, but their underlying depression came from some other source, which was trauma, which was something happened in their childhood. They were raped. They were molested. Something terrible happened to them, yet when they entered the psychiatric hospital, the first thing they do is medicate people. And I've worked in three psychiatric hospitals, and I've seen this firsthand. Rather than trying to figure out why a particular person engages in behavior, uh, deviant behavior, w with all my patients, the number one thing is that they, they have probably done something that's illegal. So you're dealing with the legal system initially. Then the, the second part of it is that once they get into the psychiatric system, now you're dealing with drug behavior. So you've got two things that you're working on. You're trying to get the person to stop whatever deleterious behavior they're engaging in, which is self-defeating, not in their self-interest. But on the other hand, they're given a drug and promise that this will... this. Miss, Mrs. Jones, don't worry. This particular drug, this will alleviate your symptoms and you won't steal anymore. Yeah. It's, it's not true. It, it exacerbates, increases the frequency of the symptoms. I had one outstanding case of a woman who was an engineer in Silicon Valley. You'd call her Mrs. Ho. And she would periodically engage in theft behavior. She, and she was, she was well-off, had a terrific job, made $400,000 a year, happily married. But several times a year, she would have this impulse to steal. She would go to Valley Fair in San Jose, and she would steal some insignificant item. Couldn't figure, she couldn't figure out why she did it. The family couldn't figure it out. Theft was against their moral values. She, she wasn't a criminal, but she did it. She was immediately sent to Stanford Hospital. She was prescribed SSRI drugs because they thought she was depressed. Maybe she might have been a little depressed, and maybe the stealing elevated some of her, her mood levels to make her feel better, but it's not the reason she stole. Mm -hmm. the, so the frequency... So she came to see me, and we tried to figure out the frequency of the, of the theft behavior is tied to what other behavior? And, and what we found out through hypnosis is that she was raped by her brother when she was eight years old. Wow. When the parents left the house, this was in Taiwan. Jeez. When the parents left the house in Taiwan, the brother would rape her. She and her family moved here. He stayed there. Every time that they, he announced a visit to come to the United, come to California, she would engage in theft behavior. Hmm. 
Wow. So, stimulator of some kind, I guess. That's a right. big one. Right. right. Yeah. So, so the connection to her behavior isn't going to be interrupted by the use of, of drugs. Right. It was to find the genesis of why she committed this particular, these particular crimes. And the, the bottom line is that she wanted to be punished. So through therapy, and therapy is, is old hat now. People aren't even doing therapy no, they don't. when they can do drugs, give yeah. drugs out. So during therapy, she acknowledged that she felt at eight years old partially responsible for what her brother continually did to her. Hmm. So, so th there's th just one example of a case that, that crosses the, the legal line and then gets into the psychiatric line. Psychiatric drugs did nothing for her. It did nothing to get to the source of why she became a shoplifter. Wow. That's amazing. You know, it's just, the, and that's just, the industry is huge. You know, we, I think, like you said before, we take 50% of all of the drugs made in the world. And the idea is how many more drugs can people be on? We know that if you look at ARP, AARP magazine came out, uh, it's about maybe a year and a half ago, but my timing could be off. And they were saying that the average 50-year-old had been on 14 prescription oh, drugs sure. in their lifetime. Um, they may not be on them all now, but when you get up to be 70, you're on something like 15 to 20 constant medications. And one thing, whether they're psychotropic drugs or pharmaceutical drugs that aren't mind-related, we know that these affect the brain. There's so many of these medications that are being, even things like, you know, stomach acid things like the purple pill and all these things, they're affecting our brain and, and Pepsid, causing, yeah. yeah, and they're causing um, dementia and worse. So, you know, I mean, at one side, at one point, all of this stuff, there's, there's a much better solution, but there's a big machine going on that is, it's like a, a freight train going downhill. And <laughs> it, how are we going to stop this? You know, all we can do is caution the individual to um, maybe take a second look at what they're being um, maybe urged into. And, um, you know, in the old days, when we were kids, you know, it would be, you took, you, you had a problem, you went to the doctor, you asked the doctor, he told you what to do, and you said, yeah, great, I'll do that, and things were different then. But right now, you can't go drop the body off and pick it up like you took your car to a shop and expect <laughs> right, that it was right. taken care of correctly. We have to be, what did Ronald Reagan say? Trust but verify. Exactly. You know, so you, we just have to make some changes in the way we look at our health. That's one reason I'm here, and I'm so glad that you came here, Dr. John. What else you got for us? So if you have, you have 500 million prescriptions for various kinds of psychiatric drugs. 500 million. Million. 500, wow. 500 million. Yeah, I'm reading that right, correctly. So There's th only 360 million people in the country. Exactly. Well, I mean, these are all multiple, multiple yeah. prescriptions yeah. for the same patient yeah. in order to get to a, a particular place where the... The, the provider is rewarded by the pharmaceutical company mm -hmm. as, uh, and I hate to say it, as a sales bonus, but they're incentivized to, to select one particular drug over another particular drug, and then they, they get uh, cash rewards from the pharmaceutical company to do that. Before you talked about imagination, how about if you imagine a world where the the results of a psychiatric case came closer to what happened to in the Miss Ho case, where we really investigated whether you use hypnosis, whether you use other kinds of therapy, prolonged exposure therapy, rational emotive therapy, cognitive therapy, to get to the reason that somebody is doing things that are not in their best self-interest, as well as illegal. Yeah. So imagine that point and you take out the, the drug element in the equation and you get a person who is more fully functioning, who is more in control, who is less apt to get into learned helplessness. And yeah. the, the, I read a, 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 I long, cha a long chapter on learned helplessness. I, I read that this morning. It's very we interesting. Well, I wanted you to keep up on your technical reading. That's good. That's good. That's why you ask good questions, too. 
So the, but the learned helplessness comes from the person thinking about planning their day around their medication. Yeah. Wow. So you know what this person did before? They planned their day around illegal drugs or illegal behavior. Nothing has changed in, the, in their thinking. Yeah. You know, in, in AA, it's called stinking thinking, mm -hmm. okay, which is irrational thinking. So they're planning their day, except for the, the woman that came in with the Safeway bag. She had, she had no clue. I mean, it was, yeah. it was sad. Right. Because she had 15 or 20 different prescriptions. So they're planning their day around the administration of their medications, which is making their issues worse. They're, yeah. they're not stealing less. Or they're not creating less problems for themselves, their family, and society. They're creating more. And the solution seems to be, we'll add one more drug, which is the polypharmacy. Yeah, we call it cocktails. Cocktails. Drug cocktails. Yeah, yeah drug cocktails or chaining, chaining of, of drugs. Yeah. One with with another drug to counteract the effects of the first drug <laughs> rather yeah. than rather than cutting back the dosage of the first drug or saying wait a minute how why don't we use some hypnosis doctor mm -hmm. we'll go back and figure out maybe this little boy fell out of a tree at berkeley <laughs> when he when he was 12 years old and and this had an impact on his entire life, but we've got to find that point in time. Right. We're not finding anything except yeah. doling out more prescription drugs. Now that I was on the internet this morning, you were reading my book and <laughs> <laughs> I was on the internet. And there's coupons now for Ritalin. Wow. So you can go to your major pharmacies and you get a 20% discount to buy more drugs for ADHD which is a questionable diagnosis to begin with, but but the the drug companies, Novartis, isn't dumb, so they create as many ads as possible. When we talk about the ads, this is last point right here, is that there were no ads on TV, there were no pharmaceutical ads. You say one in three, I'm sure that's that's true. There were no ads prior to 1985. Mm -hmm. 1985, mm -hmm. the FDA changed the policy of their advertising. Why? Because the FDA is funded by Big Pharma. Yeah, no kidding. So they, cha they changed their policy to allow direct-to-consumer advertising in the 80s, which led to this late-night TV stuff that you see e every single day. Yeah, and alcohol was banned for a while, too. <laughs> and now alcohol is coming back. But it, it's really interesting, interesting point. You know... Um, it's funny that, you know, we, the, we are here on this planet to survive. I mean, every living entity on this planet, whether it's a weed in your garden, you can pull that weed and it's going to come back, you know. And, but individuals, especially sentient beings like us, you know, people that can think and are right. beings that can think and communicate and create and imagine and, and have all these inventions that, you know, we're talking through microphones on radio stations, <laughs> you know, driving vehicles. And unfortunately, what's happening is rather than we have adapted the world to us as a, as a species. We needed better shelter. We needed, you know, a faster car. We needed warmer clothes. We've adapted the environment to us. And what these psycho psychotropic right. drugs do is they adapt us to the environment. They take away our freedom of choice. They take away our creativity. Now, a lot of people out there, if you know, you probably feel like, you know, these have helped me with my symptoms. They've calmed me down or they've maybe taken away some of my compulsions. And perhaps you've noticed some changes there. But really, and, you know, I, I feel... I don't know what to say other than, that, you know, we are here, like Einstein says, if, you know, imagination is the greatest thing of all. And, you know, if you've, right. if you've only lived your life to get here, is this where we're going to end? Or do we have a long way to go? We want to help people create the, the best lives possible. We want them to be as healthy as they can be. We want you not to be dependent on, you know, now I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not giving medical device here, and I'm sure Dr. John <laughs> isn't either. But, you know, if you can get your body working as well as possible, you know, there's three kinds of stress in our life. I talk about it all the time. There's physical, which is chiropractic, 
pinched right. nerves, accidents, broken bones. Chemical, which we're talking about chemical neurotransmitters and all the toxins in the world. And right. then there's the mental aspect, which is a spiritual aspect. And if we can start to raise those up and put people at, you know, a little bit more in charge of their life a bit, a bit of time, and that's what you were saying. It's like, well, wait, rather than all of a sudden just like we give, you know, insulin for diabetes. Well, why not try to figure out how to get the body clean enough so that the cells don't need so much insulin because they can, one insulin can open the door. You know, it's the same thing with these, these psychotropic drugs. You know, we're just, like you were saying, we're yeah. covering up more and more and more. Um, I, we need to take a quick break here, but we're going to do it right here. Uh, this is Dr. Duncan McCollum, and um, this is McCollum Wellness Radio. And um, what I'm doing because of, in, in mm. May, because of everything that's gone over for the past year, you know, we have, talking about medications, there's the, the whole uh, choice on whether or not you want to be, get that, um, that substance put into your body that might give you, make you more um, resilient to a, a virus that comes along or not. No matter what, our immune systems have to be stronger. So what I am going to be doing is I'm doing a special on a three-day or three-month uh, toxicity cleanse. It's called the True Cellular Detox Program. Um, and uh, so I want anybody interested just to uh, go to McCollumWellness.com, info at McCollum Wellness, and say detox on there. And then we'll get you the details on that because we need to get our bodies as clean as possible. And um, I think that you've heard me talk about this enough out there that if you're interested, let us know. The other half of the commercial is talking about my TRT stem cell machine. And rather than play one of my commercials, I thought I'd have Dr. John talk about his experience with it at our office, if you don't mind, Dr. John. No, that, that's great. I mean, the, the TRT machine, I, I think I first read about it as a, it was a, a variant of the way to bombard kidney stones in the, in, in, like 20 years ago. Yeah, lithotripsy, they called it. Yeah, lithotripsy, that's right. So you see, you know these, these words to this stuff. So what, what happened in my situation is that because I have back issues, the, I've used a TRT, which has brought back feelings <clears throat> to my feet. Not 100%, but very seldom are, is, is anything 100%. So it's really facilitated my balance and my ability to, to walk by increasing the, the nerve connections from my lower back to my feet. So it's, it's been a valuable uh, asset or adjunct to, to, for me to live a better life. Yeah, it's, it's worth people trying it for the $49 so. special. I, I think so. Yeah, cool. Well, that's you heard it here live from Dr. John, <laughs> and you guys have heard me talk about it a million times. So it's up to you to see if you want to get better and see if we can help you with any of your ailments that just don't seem to work for anything else. So um, did you want to talk about another case? Actually, I want to talk about something that you said. Okay. Because, I mean, I, I think your, your whole zeitgeist your whole model is one towards wellness and clarity mm -hmm. and, and i think that's very admirable i'm not just just saying that because you invited me to the radio station <laughs> i'm saying it because there, there's a sincerity to that kind of holistic approach to health which is really important and, and it embraces all disciplines so you talk about what happens and how the the drugs mold us to the environment. What happens if, if you look at historically the, our needs, whether you use Maslow or somebody else, the top need, needs that we have are needs for individualization, self-actualization, and self-esteem. So your animals are at the lower end. They, they want security, Physiological, they want a warm place to, to, to sleep and eat, etc. What happens at the higher end, where the human beings are, coming from our, our evolution of prefrontal lobe development, is that we strive for the creative self-actualization, self-esteem. And what happens with drugs, in, in my experience, is it clouds the person's ability 
to become that person which they could really strive to be. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of existential in a way. It's, it's searching for existence, but it's really true. And I've seen so many people who, after they were detoxified from psychiatric drugs, and, and we located the reason that they're doing bad things to themselves, their family, and society is because there's another reason. There's a real psychological reason that, that is only masked when you use psychiatric drugs. So, so masking of, of, a, of, a, of a person stellifies their ability to change, their ability to feel good about themselves, and makes them independent. You're not independent when you have to plan your day around how many drugs I'm taking, when I'm taking them, you know, is it embarrassing? Can I do I have to take them at the office? You know, whatever. So your your whole sense of creativity is gone and then and then it's it's masked by these drugs and you can't become the person that you want to be. Yeah. It's it's amazing. You know, we've got we've got a little bit of time left. There's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. And um, one is, you know, to talk about, well, you know, I did want to mention, and you've heard me say this, and my show has too, but we're talking about basically treating patients for anxiety and depression primarily. And, well, there's a, a wide right, range right. of them. But, and I always talk about the chemical aspect of, you know, we get our number one source of uh, lead poisoning is our mother's umbilical blood. It comes down four generations. And the number one, one of the top, symptoms, mental symptoms of lead toxicity is depression. Mercury is extant. It's a heavy metal and it scores in our brain. And one of the number one sources of or um, symptoms with mercury toxicity is anxiety. So again, now there's definitely the traumas and everything else that you mentioned too, but you have a, you know, something that happened mentally and possibly chemically. And rather than looking at either of them, they're just giving us drugs to cover up the sensations or the uh, whatever emotional things happening rather than go, hey, let's see if there's something going on in the past that happened in your life. If we can <laughs> clean that up, why don't we see Thanks. if we can get these known toxins out of your body that we know we're in the, we live in the most toxic environment ever in the history of humankind. <laughs> and let's just clean those up first before we do mass toxic drugging that is, that is actually deadening the spirit deadening the soul, deadening creation, rather than the other, which is, hey, man, let's try to help you become the greatness that you were put on this planet to be. So that's, yeah, that's true. one that's, thing I, mean, I wanted I, to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good perspective. The, the, the other, if you want to talk about toxicity, I mean, the, the people I deal with are toxic people in, <laughs> in a certain sense. Yeah. Okay. In another sense, when they take psychiatric drugs, it alters the biochemical balance in your brain. Yeah. So uh, aside from heavy metals, aside from nickel, aside from amalgams in your old fillings, et cetera, we've known about that, the, the use of psychiatric drugs can actually change the biochemistry of your brain, which leads to a toxicity. So you're, you're adding one more toxin to, to the to the menu rather than removing one. Yeah. I, I would much rather, you know, wean somebody off a particular medication over time with, with medical supervision yeah. until we can reach the area of why is this person stabbing themselves? Yeah. Why is this person cutting herself? Right. Why is she cutting her wrist? Yeah. You know, it, 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 it may be some toxicity, but it may be some other issue mm -hmm. where... People who are cutters, who who want to to hurt themselves, they want to feel punishment. They want to feel something. So yeah. something's been deadened in their lives, and pain, the masochism of pain, is better than no feeling whatsoever. Yeah, and you know, I definitely want before we get done, have you tell us where people, these people can find you if they have any <laughs> questions, if they are wanting to ask, you know, or look up where, where we can find you. But I also want to say that it's not always those people that are put on psych drugs. It's somebody that just has a little depression. It just starts with, well, I just don't feel so good, you know, and it might be a hormone imbalance if they're a woman. They're going through hormonal changes and, you know, their, their estrogens and progesterones are going down. Along with right. the toxic body, they don't work so well. So it could be the extreme 
It could be. That's but, right. But That's it could right. be just this little minor thing. I just need a little boost. Well, just take this. And then it goes on and on and on from there. Look, look at I mean, the, the, in, in, in one of my books, in my treatment book, I go back to several eras in American history where psychiatric drugs were, were really popular. Mm-hmm. The, the, the first one really was the 1950s when Milltown, an antidepressant, anti-anxiety drug, was developed, and they, it was named after a town in New Jersey. <laughs> it, it was made by by Carter Company. Uh-huh. It still is the Carter Company with the Carter's little liver pill company. Oh, yeah, that's right. They, they took out the little liver. Yeah, that's right. They just, just stuck with that. <laughs> yeah. We've been a lot healthier. So, so, so that, that's right. So they they developed in the 1950 was called Mother's Little Helper. Yeah. Wow. To get through the day, the Rolling Stones song. It was it was really terrific mm-hmm. because. It was terrific in the sense of, of connecting the two. It wasn't terrific for the women that were saturated with these particular drugs. Yeah. The next era, of course, became from anxiety. The shift was to depression. And Prozac obviously was the, the, the mainline drug that came out of Eli Lilly. They yeah. say that, that Prozac, that, that Eli Lilly is a house that Prozac made. Wow. Yeah. Because, because of the, the, the sales of the depression drug. Mm-hmm. So they shifted from anxiety to depression. The, the, the odd thing that I found in my research, how come these were women? Mm. Why were more women? Three-quarters of the time women are prescribed medications when they, when they seek psychiatric help. The, the, the male patients are taught self-reliance. Why don't you go play golf? Why don't you do this? Take a trip. You know, so so there was a implicit bias in why women are 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 doled out and doped psychiatric drugs, and it goes back in our own history to the pharmaceutical advertising. Mother's little helper; she mm. needs us to get through the day. Plus, the fact she might add a couple of drinks with that, yeah, or a little kidding. vodka. Yeah. So so now we have an addicted person that is being sponsored by. Not in the AA sense, but sponsored by the pharmaceutical companies that that push people into this this kind of medication solution. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Well, we've got we've got a few minutes left. You know, there's two really classes uh, of two classes. There's a well, you mentioned SSRI, which are serotonin selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and and what those do is you have the you have two nerves neurons that come together. And the serotonin comes from one neuron to the other, and when it's in between spaces, it has this great loving feeling, right? So the what, and then it would be taken back, back into the other neuron. Well, the serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitor it keeps it in that junction there, so you kind of keep yourself <laughs> in a happy mood, but they eventually burn out. The, the, those receptors can eventually burn out, and that's why they have to start adding more and more and more. And so there's there's that one class, and those uh, the benzo benzodiazepines. Yeah, and then there's the other ones that are the hypnotic ones. Right, right. Yeah, and so and sometimes you have a combination of the hypnotic ones, and you know the names of them. I don't know them all, and and so what are the two classes typically? What do you see the the effects of those? You know, um, and especially when they're mixed together. Well, I mean, I've seen patients that were prescribed both classes of drugs. Yeah. If, as I said, with with the one woman that came in, that she was put on Ativan because she had anxiety, anti-anxiety medication. That's a that's a serotonin. Is that no? That's a hypnotic. Right, right. That's yeah. a hypnotic. Yeah. So, so, so that's for anxiety to calm yeah. me, calm me down. Whereas right. she probably could have used some relaxation and meditation exercises that would have calmed her down a lot more. Right. But, but that didn't work. So she became more anxious. She stole again. Mm-hmm. She recidivated, stole more stuff from stores. Then the same doctor put her on Paxil, and the Paxil interacted with the Ativan. In a, in a non-synergistic way, which made increased her need to steal. It didn't decrease it. Wow. So, so w- my, my perspective is that if you're doing something that's paradoxically reinforcing behavior you're trying to negate, stop doing it. 
and and let's yeah. let's find out let's find out why this person is engaging in this kind of behavior and what the reinforcement is the yeah. girl st- cutting your wrists yeah you know that that pain masochism is better than nothingness yeah something so, she's got to find something so, so, so through counseling you can reconstitute the person give them the the sense that they can become masters of their fate to some extent mm-hmm. so some of these people are really damaged and they're not going to be a hundred percent ever right. but they can be better than being a zombieized with drugs and that's that's my perspective yeah and sometimes the damage comes because of the mistreatment early on rather than finding a simple solution they've been on medications for so long that it's gonna it's hard to get the biochemistry back true yeah true and um so we got a couple minutes i mean <laughs> i know that so many my daughter was telling me and you know natalie she says sure. you know the world is fascinated her age group is fascinated with the serial serial killers and i know that you've interviewed a couple we've got a couple minutes but why don't you just give us a short bit on some of the okay. ones that you've uh, seen just for uh, entertainment okay. yeah, at this well, point actually i've got a a trailer to a, a tv show that we're we're trying to to market now so we made the trailer last year it's, it's, it's a pretty good trailer made locally with with, with local santa yeah, i've seen it it's great santa cruz people but this is a story of a man who had made 450 million dollars in his initial public offering he invented he invented a, a chip that goes into a into an iPhone. So you jump forward twenty years and he murders his secretary. Then you go back twenty years in his life through what I call mind tracking, which is a hypnotic using pictures and computer uh, images taking a person back. What we find out is that when he was age nine, his name was Eli. His mother was dipsomaniacal, drunken, drug-using, schizophrenic person. She slams him with a hot iron in his face and smashes his zygomatic process, smashes wow. in his face, ru- ru- ruined his eye. So he becomes a, a, a genius, a Ph.D. student at Stanford, a genius engineer. Well, that's a problem. He went to Stanford, not Cal. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll even forgive those, those guys that went to Stanford. So, so 20 years later, he sees this girl in his company. He's got 500 employees in Silicon Valley. She looks exactly like his mother did when she was 20, 20 years before that when she hit him with the iron. Wow. That he, set him he, off. He kills, that's right, he kills her, puts her into a freezer in four pieces. Wow. And... The next night, he invites her girlfriend over for dinner. Jeez. Why don't we leave it there? We'll have you back. This will be fun to talk more about. The girl who's coming to dinner. exactly. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah, Dr. John Brady's here. Fascinating subject about, you know, the psychotropic drug industry and how it's being used and whether or not it's... You know, an industry for help or potentially one for financial gain. Um, Dr. John, how can we get a hold of you? We got about 30 seconds. Website, johncbrady.com. Johncbrady.com. And th- 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 thank you very much yeah. for the opportunity. Oh, it's been really and, and fun. And thanks for the help with my back. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> thank you.